Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Ronnie will be teaching from the book of Romans, chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Having to be copied and recopied for hundreds of years before the invention of the printing press did not diminish its style, talking about the word, correctness, or existence. The Bible, compared with other ancient writings, has more manuscript evidence than any ten pieces of classical literature combined. God's word endures, and it doesn't change. In 303 A.D., the Roman emperor Diocletian demanded, listen that every copy of the scriptures in the Roman Empire be burned. And he failed. And 25 years later, the Roman Emperor Constantine commissioned a scholar named Eusebius to prepare 50 copies of the Bible at the government expense. God's word endures. Voltaire, the French skeptic and infidel who died in 1778, said that hundreds of years from this time, Christianity would be swept from existence and passed into eternity, and that the Bible would be a forgotten book, he said. Only 50 years, get this, after his death, the Geneva, the Geneva Bible Society used his press and his house to produce stacks of Bibles. <laughs> God's word endures forever, and God has a sense of humor. Amen, saints? Someone once wrote this, listen... Infidels for 1,800 years have been refuting and overthrowing this book, and yet it stands today solid as a rock. Its circulation increases, and it is more much loved or more loved and cherished and read today than ever before. Infidels, with all their assaults, make, much, make, a, make about as much impression on this book as a man with a tack hammer would on the pyramids of Egypt. When French monarch proposed the persecution of the Christians in his dominion, an old statesman and warrior said to him, Sire, the church of God is an anvil that was worn out many hammers. And so the hammers of the infidels have been pecking away at this book for ages, but the hammers are worn out and the anvil still endures. If this book had not been the book of God, men would have destroyed it long ago. Emperors and poets and kings and Priests and princes and rulers have all tried their hand at it, and they die, and the Bible lives on. Amen, saints. Y'all wait, that's fine. And listen at this. A young musician once went to see his old music teacher, and during the visit, his elderly mentor took a tuning fork, and he struck it on the end of the table, and he said, this is an A. Well, from the floor above, they could hear the voice of a singer rehearsing. She, she sings sharp, the old teacher said with a smile. He struck the tuning fork again and paused as he lifted it and said, She is sharp, but this is an A. 
always has been, always will be, 440 vibrations per second. It will still be an A 5,000 years from now. When all other claims to truth have had their say, the word of God will stand alone in the end. Everything else changes. Philosophies come and go, but God's word remains the abiding truth. This is God's word. It was God's word yesterday. It is God's word today. And it will be God's word 5,000 years from now. Kingdoms rise and fall. Ideas come and go. The values of the world will change. But God's word will remain the one constant in a world of change and confusion. Isn't that true? God's word endures for how long, saints? Forever. It's the enduring word of God that was committed to the Jewish people. So the advantage of being a Jew, Paul points out in our text, is that God's word was committed to them. Now in verses 3 through 8, the Jewish people would then respond to the idea of this advantage. And if you're taking notes, Paul then gives them three objections that the Jew would have, gives us three objections that the Jew would have. The first one is found in verse 3. Go ahead and look at it in your Bibles again. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? And then in verse 4, certainly not. Let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written, and and, uh, Paul begins to quote from Psalm 51, a psalm of David. As it is written... That you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. You see, the fact that the Jewish people rejected the gospel did not mean that God's faithfulness to them was in vain. And Paul is basically saying, listen, God is always true no matter how much man fails. Amen, saints? God is always true. God is never unfaithful. God never goes back on his word. God's truth doesn't rely on people believing it or not. Now, that's good news. You know, some people say, well, you know, you're sharing with them with the Bible in the word. And they say, well, I, you know, I, I just don't believe the Bible. As if because they don't believe the Bible, you should stop talking. Well, I just, I, I just don't believe the Bible. I'm like, uh, so... You're sharing with the Spirit. I just don't believe God's word. I don't believe anything it has to say. You can't use God's word because I don't believe in it. Listen, just because you don't believe in it, it doesn't make it any less true. Somebody say amen. amen. Just because you don't believe in it. You know, somebody once gave this example. They said, suppose you go into a math class and, and a teacher writes on the board, two plus two equals four. Well, wait a minute. I don't believe it. Well, listen, that doesn't mean that it isn't true. Amen. God is true. And because God is true, he won't let you down. God is true. You know, people will disappoint you and let you down, but God will never let you down. Did you know that? He'll never let you down. You know, I heard a story of a college man, listen, who walked into a photography studio with a framed picture of his girlfriend, and he wanted the picture duplicated. Well, this involved removing it from the frame. Well, in doing this, the studio owner noticed the inscription on the back of the photograph, and it read this. My dearest Tom, I love you with all my heart. I love you more and more each day. I will love you, Tom, forever and ever. I am yours for all eternity. And it was signed, Diane. 
and it contained a P.S. If we ever break up, I want this picture back. (laughs) You know, God... God isn't like that. Did you know God doesn't have any P.S.'s in his love letter in the Bible? You know, others might break up with you, but God will never break up with you. Maybe that's a prophetic word for somebody here today. God will never break up with you. Men will. Men have P.S.'s. But God's love letter has no P.S.'s. Now, in this second part of verse 4, go ahead and look at it again. Paul, as I said, was quoting from Psalm 51 when David finally broke down and he acknowledged his sin with Bathsheba. And David said, Lord, your justice and judgment is right. David said, God, all that you do is right. You are justified in the things that you do. And it's there in Psalm 51 that David was willing to condemn himself so that God might be seen as righteous. The second objection is found in verse 5, if you're still tracking with me. Look at it again in verse 5 in your Bibles. If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, is God unjust who inflicts wrath? So the Jew would say, hey, I might as well be unrighteous because if my unrighteousness reveals the righteousness of God, then we might as well do what we want and then God can be more glorified. That's just dumb. I don't know how to say that. You know, well, and look, if God is glorified in my sin, God is seen even more, then why don't I just sin it up and then God gets more glory? This is this would be the second and then part of the second objection. And then Paul answers that in verse six. He says, God forbid, for then how would God judge the world? So if the Jew is saying, let's live and do whatever we want to do because it will justify God in his judgment, Paul says, God forbid, how would God be a just God in doing that? And then the third objection is found in verses 7 and 8. Go ahead and look at that again. For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, then why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, let us do evil that good may come? You see, the Jew would argue if my sin only magnifies the grace of God, then we should sin again, they say, so that God's grace can be revealed. And if you notice in verse 7 and 8, Paul doesn't really even answer that argument. He simply says, if you think that, your condemnation is just. You're getting exactly what you deserve. Notice in verse 9, if you're there, say amen. What then, Paul says, are we better than they? Well, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are, note this, all under sin. As it is written in verse 10. As a matter of fact, why don't you read verse 10 through verse 14 with me. Verse 10, as it is written... There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have come together, become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. 
whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Stop right there. So the Jew, give me your attention, has an advantage in that the word of God has been revealed to him, but the Jew is still a sinner. Paul says, we are not better than anyone else, not at all. Paul says, listen, we have just proved that the Jews and the Gentiles are under sin. Would you note that? Please look at it again in your Bible in verse 9. We are all under, notice, singular sin. Notice he doesn't say we are all under sins, plural, with an S. He says we are all under sin. That literally speaks to our sin nature. Sins refer to, are you listening? Sins refer to the things that we do. Sin in the Bible, singular, refers to our sin nature. The Bible is clear. When you come into the world, we come into the world with a sin nature. It's innate. You don't have to do anything in order to be put in the category of a sinner. You know, as a pastor, I had the opportunity to go to hospitals when people have babies and they call me and I go up and walk into the hospital room and I just see it happened last week a couple had a baby got in the hospital room baby just cute as a button just cute just you walk in the room you look see a baby, little baby sleeping and little skin and just cute look like a little angel and I walk in oh look at the little angel you know baby just light shining on you know oh, you know <laughs> A little, little angel. And at the same time, I have to remember that little angel oh, is actually a sinner. You know, I, I say, look, 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 start early, parents. As soon as they come in the world, just say, you just a little sinner. <laughs> when they start crying and carrying on, just say, you know what? You're just a little sinner. And then by the time they're 16 or 17 years old, they already have it. And then you can just say, you know, what are you? I'm a sinner. That's right. <laughs> Don't you forget it. Because we're born with this sin nature. Listen, we are sinners because we are born with the sin nature. We are not sinners, are you listening, because we do something sinful. Otherwise, a person, for example, who's never committed adultery would say, I never committed adultery. I must not be a sinner. I've never stolen anything. I must not be a sinner. Well, listen, it's proof that we are sinners because of this innate sin nature. Because you don't have to teach your children to lie. They just do. Did you eat them cookies? No. Well, what is those chocolate chips I see all around your face? Would you believe acne? <laughs> they just do. You don't have to teach them to steal. No good parent says, listen, Johnny. All kids in all stories are named Johnny. I know, I know what the deal is there. 
Well, let me teach you how to steal now. You don't have to teach them these things. They just do. You don't have to teach them a lie. They just do because of the sin nature within us. We all have the nature of sin. So Paul is simply pointing out that all humanity is guilty. Everyone is indicted. And to drive the point home, Paul first deals with their character. And in this text in verses 10 through 18... Paul gives six Old Testament quotes. Beginning with Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, There is none righteous. Look at verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. And just in case you don't have it clear in your mind, Paul says, There is none that understands. Understands what? That there is none that understands the true nature of God. No one understands the depravity of man. No one understands the seriousness of sin. And furthermore, no one even seeks after God. Listen, man is seeking something, but it isn't God. Anybody ever say this to you? It happened to me when I first became a Christian. I told a bunch of people I I became a Christian And they said, oh, well, I'm glad you found God. (laughs) That ever happened to you? You ever heard that before? Yeah, two people. Okay, cool. And uh, they go, oh, I'm glad you found God. Listen, listen. We didn't find God. How you know that, Rodney? Because God wasn't lost. (laughs) What do y'all think God is meandering around? Well, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Listen, God is not lost. You don't find God. God finds you. No one, the Bible says, is even looking for God. No one seeks God. You understand? That's one of the reasons why, please hear me, I don't really understand seeker services. What are seeker services? No one, the Bible is clear, seeks after God. There's none that does good, not even one. Listen, there's none that does good. Not Billy Graham, not the Pope, not Pastor Rodney, not Chuck Smith, not anyone. The Bible says there is none that does good. Paul deals with their character. And then in verses 13 and 14, we just read it, Paul deals with their communication. Listen, our sinful depravity is revealed by our speech. Jesus said that our, our speech reflected what is in our hearts. Notice in verse 13, look at it again. Their throat is an open tomb. Now, that's not talking about morning breath. <laughs> Somebody say, you know, I'm. Their throat, the word throat, if you're taking notes, speaks of the larynx. It's a very interesting word. It speaks of the larynx or the voice box, what they vocalize. The voice box of those without God is like an odor from an open grave. Sometimes it's filthy, sometimes it's deceiving, and sometimes it's deadly as a cobra's bite. And then in verse 15 through 18, look at verse 15. Paul deals with their conduct. Their feet are swift to blood, to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. And there, look at verse 18, saints. There is no fear of God. Do you know that's the problem in our country today? 
Did somebody, did somebody on this side of the room say amen? amen? The problem in our country today is that there is no fear of God before their eyes. Notice in verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth might be quiet and all the world might become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Get that. For by the law is what, saints? The knowledge of sin. Verses 15 through 18, Paul deals with their conduct. He dealt with their character. He dealt with their communication. And now their conduct, their feet are swift to shed blood. In the Bible, the feet is a metaphor for a person's approach to life. It causes a man to murder destroy the lives of others, to live without peace and reject God instead of fearing him. No fear of God before their eyes. God is left out of their thinking, which is always the problem, saints. If a person doesn't know God and rejecting God, it's because they have no fear of God. And then in conclusion, in verses 19 and 20, Paul says, listen, it was never the intention of the law to make men right before God. The purpose of the law was to show men that they are sinful. On Wednesday nights, we've been going through the Ten Commandments. You know that. I encourage you to come out on Wednesday night. We have a great time of worship, and we've been going through the Word, and it's a blessing. I mean, the place is packed on Wednesday night. It's wonderful. And we've been talking about the fact that the law was not intended to make you righteous before God. The law's purpose was to show you that you are a mess and you need a Messiah. That's the purpose of the law. And Paul says that again. The law reveals our sin, but it doesn't wash away our sin. It doesn't wash away our sin. Now let me just close with these five simple things that we can learn from our study this morning. From this text, five simple things, if you're taking notes, that we can learn just at a cursory look. Number one... Every person is hopelessly lost. Did you know? Every person is hopelessly lost. Number two, none of us can save ourselves. Thirdly, all of us need a savior. Number four, we have a savior. And his name is who, saints? You got it. And then number five, we should all turn our lives over to that savior Today, five things to learn from this text. Every person is hopelessly lost. No one can save themselves. All of us need a savior. We all have a savior. His name is Jesus. And we should turn our lives over to that savior, Jesus Christ, today, not tomorrow. This morning, are you listening? Prior to me coming out, 8 o'clock this morning, service is 8.15. A sister called. Attends our church. She said, Pastor Rodney, my mother passed away this morning. And I began to pray with her and comfort her and tell her that her mom's in heaven with Jesus. And encourage her heart to tell her that, you know, the things that her mother was seeing right now was amazing. And I told her, I said, if your mom had an opportunity to come back here, she wouldn't. Y'all can say amen to that. That's okay. Because that's true. If your mom had an opportunity, your dad or whoever your loved one is, and they're in the presence of God and they're in the kingdom of God, and they had an opportunity to come back here, they wouldn't. I told you. 
When I die, please don't pray me back. Because folk like to pray you back and lay hands on you and jump in the casket and carrying on. I heard all this, but don't do that. Because if God hears your prayer and I come back, I'm going to hit you. Because I love y'all. I, mean, I ain't coming back. Knock you out. Because I, I know Paul said to be absent from the body is what, saints? To be present with the Lord. To be present with the Lord. And I began just to encourage her. And you know, by the time I hung up the phone, she seemed encouraged. She seemed a lot better. But I was explaining to her and she was telling me that just even some people here at Calvary were saying even last week, uh, she would come to church and, and everything seemed to be getting better and everything seemed to be going well. But we don't know when God's going to take us home. You don't know when you think you're young and just because you got abs now, don't worry, it's going to change. And, you know, that, that, hey, let me tell you something. That six-pack going to become a one-pack real quick. <laughs> Fellas, say man, Wave at me if you know what I'm talking about. You know that's right. You know that's right. Oh, well, I'm strong. I'm strong. I'm no, I mean, ain't going to happen to me. You don't know. You don't know. That's why the Bible says, are you listening? Today is a day of salvation. And if you hear God's voice knocking at the door of your heart, you should open today, not tomorrow, because you don't know what tomorrow holds. God loves you. God's got a plan for you. God's got a purpose for your life. He wants to do a work in you, but you got to turn your heart over to him. You got to say, God, come into my life. Come into my heart. I realize that Jesus is the Savior. I realize that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I realize that Jesus rose again, and I believe he's coming back again someday, and I want to be ready. And when I take my last breath, not if, but when I take my last breath, I want to take my next breath in the presence of God. And I want to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter now into the joy of the Lord. That's what Rodney wants to hear. And I hope that's what you want to hear as well. I'll wait for that. Thank you, Lord. That's what I want to hear. But it's important for you to ask God to come into your heart today. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.